Hello and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM on the radio and on Big Talker Network. One half of your host here, Yael Ososki, kicking off a long and arduous week. And I'm joined as always by my colleague, David Clement. David, how goes it? Your week been as, uh, as tough as mine? Oh, it's been a crazy one. It's been a crazy one, but there's uh, there's definitely a lot to talk about between Twitter, the storm that's brewing in the crypto world, some housing changes in Ontario. There's a lot of good stuff uh, going on. Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start? I guess we have to start with Twitter. Actually, before yeah. we do, I have a perfect North American story Ooh, okay. for us, and it is an absolute bombshell oh okay it is something that if you work your way through it will probably take you at least 20 minutes 30 minutes to read is it nancy pelosi's insider stock deals no though i would love that no this is the (laughs) i need those tips i need those tips (laughs) this is the uh, uh really bombshell blockbuster top of the line wall street journal article Inside the secret prisoner swap that splintered the U.S. and China. So this is a very well-sourced investigative piece with an entire timeline of the arrest of the Ming Vanzhou. So she is like the executive VP at Huawei, daughter of the founder. This is the two Michaels. It involves the two Michaels, and this story is absolutely insane because it's not just a retelling. They actually were able to get on-the-record sourcing from Canadian officials, U.S. officials, um, from the Michaels themselves, which is it's terrible that we call, just say, two Michaels for two people who've had their yeah, freedoms taken from them. But the story of it, my God. So... Okay, you're going to have, so the background for listeners, the very short background, and then I'll let you elaborate based on on what you've read here. So the short background is Canadian officials arrested the uh, executive from Huawei, um, primarily because it was was alleged that she violated sanction rules uh, in place by the United States, and we have certain agreements and treaties with the United States that allows for us to make that arrest. Um, Then two Canadians uh, were arrested and detained in China, otherwise known as the two Michaels. They spent something almost like a thousand days in Chinese prison, prison, accused of being spies. Uh, And then essentially uh, there was a swap or some sort of agreement in in criminal court with the U.S. uh, And then the Michaels were released home. Um, that's the very, very, very short description of what happened. So the detail that is given here, um, basically goes into who gave the order to arrest her and also how, uh, the Michaels were chosen, um, out of all citizens in China. So, all right, let's hear it. It goes back to none other than John Bolton. Oh no. So John Bolton, it says here, I'm quoting from the story, yet Mr. Bolton, a longtime China hawk, felt it was worth the risk. He had learned that Miss Meng was passing through Vancouver. The president did not yet know about the plan. 
White House staffers later debated whether Mr. Bolton had told Mr. Trump or if he hadn't fully registered with the president. While Ms. Meng was on her flight to Vancouver, the FBI passed along the details of her travel outfit to Canadian authorities. Federal prosecutors had a sealed indictment against Ms. Meng and Huae. Essentially a red notice upon landing. And you the evidence is arrested. Yeah, it has to do with um, basically they had a shell company to where they could disguise their company business in Iran. And um, essentially you have the police officers and border guards there at the Vancouver airport who seized all of her electronic devices. So apparently the extradition request had arrived from Washington, reading again from the story, on a password protected file that Canadian authorities needed more than a day to unlock. That meant that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was told of the request only around the time officers took positions at the airport's gate. Oh, boy. And then basically they go through sort of how he goes back and forth, and they're saying, did you ever commit fraud? Did you ever, you know, attempt to violate sanctions? Blah, blah, blah. And then at the time this is happening, it's the exact moment that there is this uh, G20 summit in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where Trump and Xi are meeting face to face for a steak dinner. So Bolton had planned it. So it was exactly that night. And it says here, Mr. Trump questioned Mr. Bolton days later at the White House Christmas dinner. You'll love this line. According to people familiar with the conversation, why did you arrest Meng? The president said, don't you know she's the Ivanka Trump of China? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Chinese foreign ministry officials briefed Mr. Xi on, his, on the arrest when he returned to Beijing. China's ministry, this is the important part for Canadians, China's Ministry of Public Security, which had a list of Canadian names, proposed two for him to select. Two days later, a call came to the Canadian embassy from a man stopped while trying to board a 2 p.m. flight to South Korea. I'm being questioned, Michael Spavor said. That night, the embassy got another call, this one about Michael Korvig. He had been walking in Beijing when he was bundled into a vehicle. And as soon as the Canadian ambassador, apparently, um, and we'll link to the article in the show notes over there at consumerchoiceradio.com and our podcast version in the show notes, uh, apparently the Canadian ambassador had met with the officials and said, hey, uh, why did you arrest these guys? And then they point blank said, we will give you these two once we get back Miss Meng. And the quote from the in usual uh, Chinese scripture is, he who ties the knot must untie it. So this is an absolute, just, it is a crazy story. And I don't know how they got so many Chinese people on the record, people from the CCP. Correct me if I'm wrong, it debunks the original Chinese claim that the Michaels were spies. Well, of course. Yes. Yeah, of course they were lying. It was transparent for anyone who was in the know, but, you know, you can never do it. And in the background of all of this, Huawei is, you know, trying to sell uh, 5G equipment uh, to many countries, uh, including, including Britain, Canada. European Union, to Canada. And uh, at the same time... Um, Former Quebec Premier uh, Jean Charest was uh, working as a lobbyist for this company. <laughs> and uh, many more people probably that we'll, uh, we'll learn about in coming days. Uh, and then, you know, there was a proposed exchange and that, you know, we can, we can link to the whole article. But, you know, this happened some years ago. And to only get the truth now 
it sets the blood boiling, but I think it's a perfect time to talk about it because if everyone's been following what's happening in Canada, we're learning about these overseas Chinese police dispatchments. Yes. Yep. Which sounds like something that's just complete Alex Jones conspiracy, right? When you read the headline, you're like, wait. There, but what it is, is they're setting up these offices that are used to then monitor and intimidate, um, monitor and intimidate Chinese uh, Canadians based on their behavior, what they say about the Communist Party. It's a real intimidation campaign, which, which we knew they do stuff like this, um, especially for folks who still have roots in China or family, right? It's the classic dictator playbook where they advise you not to keep talking about some issue, otherwise your family in China will be in jeopardy. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And then you have the whole Biden announcement about Huawei um, and the the allegations and I think charges now. Maybe you follow this a little more closely about attempts at bribery or some sort of corruption scandal where they were trying to bribe their way in. Um, oh, actually, yeah. So, the US. yeah. So this I, I did follow. Uh, th- there was the Department of Justice had a press conference on this in which um, they didn't answer too many questions. There was a lot of talking. Uh, it was a lot of opining, a lot of like, you know, we know that the Chinese are doing this and that. Um, so this was kind of put out as a notice on all the, the different networks saying, hey, there's going to be a press conference, DOJ, important national security consideration. And um, it's once more just like with the Russia so-called hacking thing. It's just um, they have the names and information of a couple of people who are not here anymore. They're over in China. And um, that they have been accused of trying to bribe certain people, trying to get information. Um, a lot of it, some of it related to election machines, oddly enough. Um, yeah, and we'll learn more about that, but essentially the DOJ has a case that they're mounting now, and I'm sure the evidence will be more in the media soon. Uh, but for the, the, the Chinese police stations, this is, um, there is a report that came out by a, Span, a Spain-based NGO, which found that the security bureaus had been established in 54 overseas service centers in 25 cities across 21 countries. I mean... This is, because this is not the Chinese embassy, you know, opening up in your capital. This is like agents of, you know, their police force with some authority back home trying to open up some spy eyes in North America, Europe, and other places. This is uh, very worrying. I'm surprised this is not um, the biggest issue for the press. I mean, obviously in the U.S. we have midterms, and... uh, I have no idea what Justin Trudeau is doing right now because he should be on top of this in Canada. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the problem is that the liberal government has just forever been soft on on China. I mean, there was a vote. um, I'm not sure who put forward the motion. um, Probably a conservative, I assume. But basically to recognize that there is a genocide occurring against the Uyghur people and to offer some sort of refugee protection and all of the liberal cabinet uh, ministers abstained from the vote and did not vote. And ironically, one of the ministers, (laughs) she actually voted in favor of the motion, 
But then her press team was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. She pushed the wrong button by accident. And it's like, you've been using this system since the start of the pandemic. You you made a mistake. It's like, you'd rather, you'd rather abstain. You'd rather have people think you're an, a complete doofus than acknowledge that a genocide is occurring and they're loading these people up into camps. It's just, it's so awful. Um especially for a government who talks about values all the time, right? Um, democratic values, liberal values, all of those things. You can't reconcile the two. It's sickening. Um, it, it really is sickening. Gross. And I, I saw some debate online whether, you know, she just had a moment of conscience or she absolutely forgot that she has to follow the party line. <laughs> and is there no one? Is there no one in cabinet who's like, yeah, okay, this is my line. I'm not... Like, that is below not, my I'm, line. Yeah, like I, I'm not going to abstain from this vote. It, there's some bad stuff going on, and I'm going to recognize it, and I'm going to vote yes. Well, a lot of people like, don't want to vote against uh, Trudeau. You know? Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about the rounding up of a religious minority into, in air quotes, re-education camps, where they're forced by force, sterilized, and. Uh, turned into slaves to make stuff. Yeah, I mean, but David... Is, this is atrocious. David, you have to understand. Do you know what happens if you go against uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party? Because you'd be in jail. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, that it's very cowardly. I think it's good. The Conservative Party is doing a lot of very interesting moves in Canada right now um, because there's, there's a lot of stuff happening in the UK. Brand new Prime Minister... And uh, they have to get their Another domestic one. house in order. <laughs> Another <laughs> oh <boy>. one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... it's uh, Again, we talked about this way back with John Cena. When did all of these people come become absolute jellyfish? No backbones, right? They'll, they'll say all sorts of things about the trucker convoy and uh, the flags that were there and some of the very gross opinions... And they'll be very loud and proud about that and yet sit on their hands while the Chinese Communist Party commits genocide. It's absolutely terrible. And, you know, it has nothing to do with just business and dollars because everybody sees it. Oh, yeah. And did we forget about Wuhan (laughs) and the entire COVID uh, disaster that wrecked our economies and gave us inflation and everything else? Uh, Who knows? We'll have more on that and much more here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. are back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, yeah, I think we we should probably, on, on some future show, have someone on just to have a whole episode on the shenanigans uh, going on with China and what we're seeing. Because there's just so much there to talk about. But um, beyond uh, China... We, well, we definitely... We'll try to get our colleague Simon Lee on. Simon Lee is from Hong Kong. He's been doing a lot of great and important work. And uh, there's so much stuff that he's been seeing and reporting on, and hopefully we can yeah, get him on the program to, to discuss it, because he's a, he's a good, uh, as we say, China watcher. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but also in the news, Elon Musk has finally bought Twitter. Um, and man, the memes are just hilarious. 
I saw one <clears throat> where they put Elon Musk's face on, uh, if you ever watched Entourage, on Ari Gold's face as he walks into the office and starts firing people <laughs> with the paintball gun, <laughs> which is pretty good because obviously he went in and, and I guess day one fired the CEO, the CFO, the legal and safety officer or something. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you're fired. Well, the the legal officer was the one who was on uh, Joe Rogan's show to talk about, you know, why certain accounts had been suspended or banned and uh, was sort of kind of providing the legal speak to Dorsey, which I feel very bad for Dorsey in that situation because you could tell, I mean, Dorsey, as we've known now, has left. He's in Bitcoin world um, doing his own thing. And you could tell he was just not involved in these decisions. And they were just kind of thrust upon him by the legal team or policy team or whomever. And then, you know, he can't like go and re rebuke them or do whatever. And he seemed pretty nonchalant anyway. Yeah. And the, the, the uh, right now, the whole hoopla is like, oh, is, does that mean that Donald Trump is coming back to Twitter? The Wall Street Journal is reporting that some top ad buyers would suspend their ad spending on, uh, on Twitter, if Donald Trump comes back. So there's two parts to this. One, totally reasonable. That's fine if you really don't like Donald Trump and you think that that's bad and you don't want your dollars associated with that. Okay. However, you're also a huge hypocrite. Because if you're advertising on the platform now, I mean, you have Iranian government officials you have Vladimir Putin on Twitter. So it's like, in what world is Vladimir Putin being on Twitter not offending you to the point where you pull your ad dollars, but Donald Trump does? Putin is bad, very, yeah. very, very bad, but he's still... <laughs> exactly. But it, it's like, how do, how do people do the mental gymnastics to justify that? I mean, it was the same when the Ayatollah was, was on Twitter. Uh, I mean, it's we have we have the CCP's chief propagandists all over Twitter using the platform each and every day, and there's no peep about that. To spread absolute nonsense about them not well, putting I people think it, in it comes camps. down. It's yeah, it's wild. It comes down to this situation where you, you're the evil in your backyard, or you know, in front of you is always more evil than anything happening in other countries. That's why. You know, David, I wanted to get into this because I think it relates to the Twitter um, sphere and, and purchased by, by Musk. Congrats, by the way. Um, this entire notion, and this is very big with the U.S. midterms, of we must save democracy is the most tedious, terrible thing I have ever heard. And I have a clip related to this that I wanted to bring up. I have to find it on... Uh, on Twitter, but the the entire narrative about saving democracy and this idea that if people are voting for the wrong party, that means democracy is in peril to me is is just asinine and frankly does does get my, my blood boiling and I feel like a bit of a populist in that moment. <laughs> what do we and some of it is like complete bananas like. Oh, if it, like you'll see, it's a you'll see. I forget what his name is, George Takai or whatever. He's like tweeting that if you vote for Republicans in the midterms, like America's gonna become Gilead and Handmaid's Tale, and it's like, no, 
I mean, the Re- Republicans can be bad without you going to the extreme of some fairy tale. Um, and yet that, I mean, is it, is it a winning strategy? You just spook people enough to vote for you? I don't know. Is it going to work oh, in Oh, it's completely dishonest. <laughs> it's going to work yeah. in Pennsylvania? <laughs> we'll with talk Fetterman? about that. I don't know. So, yeah. So I, I have this clip. This is from Shadi Hamid, who decided he wanted to enter the Thunderdome. Welcome to Thunderdome. Because he went on MSNBC, and uh, he's got apparently a new book out on, uh, I think it's called The Problem of Democracy. Um, so he's debating with Mehdi Hassan, who's one of the formidable um, left-wingers who's on MSNBC. And I thought this was very good, but it reveals a lot about this debate. Let's play Ultimately, this. voters have the right to vote for someone who has crazy ideas like the Muslim ban. Um, that Those are illiberal. Those are things that go against Shut individual it. rights and Shut freedoms. Yeah, there's, there's not, a, wait, okay. Can I jump in? There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of straw men here. Nobody's saying they don't have the right to vote for crazy ideas. Nobody's saying that all Trump voters are fascists. You use the word authoritarian. I'm fine with authoritarian. I mean, we're now into pedantry here. I would argue many Trump voters would be very upset being called authoritarian, but you're calling Trump authoritarian. So let's agree. He is something that is not normal. He's a threat to democracy. He's not just anti-immigration, Shadi. He wanted to build a moat, put alligators in it, and shoot immigrants in the legs. If that is not fascism, I don't know what is. Okay, well, I didn't hear about the alligator thing, Mandy, but if you just, if I can just finish the thought here. Um, look, the danger is when you, okay, I, I would just want to put the question back to you, Mandy. What are you actually suggesting we do if Trump wins fair and square? Let's forget about any like foul play or anything like that. If he wins in 2024, what are you going to do? Are you going right, to respect fi- that result? I mean, I don't accept the premise of your question. If he wins in 2024, let's forget the foul play. How can I forget the foul play when right now the Republican Party is trying to change state legislature rules, voting rules? Shadi, right now they are taking steps to make sure that the 2024 election is not a free and fair election. You keep just... Okay, that's all we need to play because that is setting up the mindset um, that is happening. So... Whatever happens, this can this will be the narrative, folks. I feel like now I feel like a right wing talk show guy. <laughs> Those are the narrative, folks. I mean, it is a good question. It's like, what are you suggesting? Like, what 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 is the policy to stop Trump from running in the primaries and winning? What is it? Arrest him? Well, you need. Like, are you suggesting that due process um, be thrown out for one person? Like, is that your means to your end? Like, what? I mean, I don't know. I've never really doesn't heard sound like democracy. Question it doesn't sound like America. Um, so yeah, I don't like what. Okay, so you have a problem here. It's like, well, what are you going to do? I mean, and just imagine. If there was, and I'm sure there were some people who are like, no, 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 like Bernie Sanders, like authoritarian, communist, whatever they were going to call him. And they were proposing extraordinary means to stop Bernie Sanders. It's like, well, Americans have the right to be dumb and vote for Bernie Sanders if they want. That's kind of the point. Um, yeah, it. it it's very strange. I don't understand the... Because, really, 
what they end up doing, so let's say you want to take extraordinary means to stop Trump from running. Well, whatever those means are, they become the norm, whether legally or just uh, conceptually, become the norm. And then when Ron DeSantis is president, do you want him to have that power? Because anything you empower Joe Biden to do here, let's say it's an executive decision, is something that becomes the norm and then can be used by the people you fear. I mean, this was the whole knock on the Obama administration and executive orders. It's like, okay, you want to legislate via executive order. Next thing you know, Donald Trump is the president, and you've given him this this power that really wasn't there in the same way prior to Obama. And he uses it accordingly. And people freak out that he used it. And it's like, well, this is only possible because we made this the political norm under the Obama administration. So whatever power you're going to give the government on any issue, really, you have to be prepared for what that power looks like when it's wielded by your opponents and the ones you feel are the scariest. And that should cause you to cool your jets a little bit on some of this crazy talk. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's been the most baffling, uh, particularly in the state of Georgia, where we have Stacey Abrams, who's running in the gubernatorial race. And in that scenario, she has built her political career on saying that she was cheated out of the election and she actually won. And I don't have to get into that tired um, sort of right wing talking point, but it is I, this entire branded notion of election denier when there are clips that have been going along, uh, you know, around about what happened exactly after 2016. Look, all that stuff is just very tiresome. And I'm, I'm not that old, David, but I'm already super tired by the political cycles of the last decade and a half. <laughs> I can't imagine if you're 40 years old and you've been living through this. I think this is my theory for why people become so cynical in the end, is they've heard this back and forth, pendulum swinging, for their entire lives. Yeah, and uh, I mean, <laughs> here, I, I forget who it was, but someone was doing interviews with, at a protest of, of I think, Democrats or left-wing people, I don't know. And they were like, what do you think of the, the people who think that Joe Biden didn't win the election, that Trump won and it was stolen from him? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm crazy. I mean, these people are just, this is just crazy talk. They're sore losers. And it's like, okay, well, what do you think about the 2016 election and Hillary losing to Trump? And you can see people like, uh-oh, like try to do the calculation in their head. <laughs> and they're just like short-circuiting because you, like, you, you know the inconsistency because the talking point forever was that Trump cheated and he, and he won because he cheated. No, he was a bad candidate who beat ironically, a worse candidate who didn't campaign well, who had a variety of issues and lost to Donald Trump. I mean, if anything, it's an indictment of Hillary Clinton. It doesn't mean that Trump is spectacular. It just means that she lost what should have been a layup. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, and I, the, it's just, for me, the the talking point on democracy, because I, what I really do not stand, and I think many listeners would agree, I don't like when simple words are used to convey an idea, but it's essentially the opposite meaning. 
because people say save democracy they don't really mean save the ability for people to vote and you know whoever wins that's the victor it's more like you got to vote for our side <laughs> and i i don't like this notion because okay let's say they they get all that power you know what are they going to do there's no more checks and balances that goes away i mean the checks and balances are amazing that's what i'd love to see in an American Republic type system. I wish we had more of that in Canada because, uh, you know, the, the parliamentary sort of tete-a-tete, sure. And then with the Supreme Court, it's just not the same. Not the same. Well, I mean, the thing is, and this is going back to the Trump era, it's it's one of those things where people thought that he was such a threat to democracy. And I mean, he was very bad and he had some terrible ideas. And I certainly think authoritarian is a good description. And if he could have rewritten the rules and strong armed people to try and maybe steal the election from Joe Biden, I don't think he would have hesitated. Um, but the institutions were stronger than the president. And that is a good thing. And if you have a, a situation where the institutions are no longer stronger than the president, then you are in big trouble. Because then yeah. Trump calling the if Georgia... We're talking about arresting, yeah. If we're talking about arresting candidates, if we're talking about using the force of police to stop people from running for things, um, that, that ain't democratic, folks. No, it's not good. Not good. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a scenario. Like, if the institutions are weaker than... The executive, well, then Trump calling the Georgia election person, I don't know what their title was, um, he succeeds, and then they stop counting the vote, and then you kind of descend into chaos. But anyway. Chaos indeed, and, and we're here to cover it each and every week. Uh, right back with you. One more segment here on Consumer Choice Radio. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Some fiery back and forth here on the program. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. But David, uh, I said we would talk about this. So I figured I'd just jump right into the clip. Okay, let's hear it. Let's uh, see what we can do. We'll get our clip custodian to uh, get that together. Here we are. I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. Okay. It was in there. <laughs> yeah. For those this who don't Pennsylvania know, Pennsylvania senatorial debate, yeah. fun, fun, fun. I mean, it was as as much as like people kind of laughed at the scenario. It was really sad, right? You saw a guy who clearly is still not functioning at the cognitive level he used to post stroke. This is the Democratic candidate John Fetterman, who had a stroke, who's running against Doctor Oz. Um, he comprehension was bad it couldn't couldn't really like it wasn't like oh nerves like he, he legitimately struggled to form sentences that were coherent um struggled to answer questions struggled like it was really really ugly and you started to see you started to see some of the the media class um realize the error of let's say the last two months because for a lot of folks the argument has been no it doesn't matter he's okay he's going to get better um he's still better than dr oz the republicans are being ableist and they're uh, ridiculing him for having a health issue 
etc etc and then one of the i forget whom it was one of the reporters who sat down with him basically said well no like this is actually pretty bad i had to use closed captioning in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him because he needed to see the words written in front of him while even though i was sitting three feet in front of him i mean and then that whoever that was got roasted online um for like feeding into the republican lie but not even just online by by actual you know many other reporters who had interviewed him kira swisher is number one mostly because i i detest her mostly but um she's a writer over there at the uh at the times uh tech writer and uh recode she was like well i guess she's just bad at small talk because i had a great conversation with him yeah and it's like obviously you're lying or your threshold for a good conversation is and I think incoherence. this is this is the problem with the the horse race mentality that comes up in the political seasons, and we see it right now. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's an exact parallel, uh, but this uh, the senator uh, senator candidate in Georgia for the Republicans, Herschel Walker, he's got his own issues, a lot of stuff about abortion, whether he paid for abortions, who knows. Uh, but the commentary after from the right was. We don't care if he paid for the abortion in the parking lot. We need that GOP yeah. seat. Which, again, it's Which, the same thing. It's the same thing on yeah. the other side. It's this tribal partisanship where it's like maybe Herschel Walker is not the best candidate for the to be. He's not the best person to be in the Senate based on his ethical well, flaws. Then, and, and maybe yeah. based on. Um, on Fetterman's health issues, he's not the best person to be in the Senate. Um, but in a way, it doesn't matter. All they need is someone to put their big fat finger on the button. And I'm I'm really dating myself because I'm di I'm digging back into like the early times of when I cared about politics. But remember John McCain running against um, against Obama. It was totally fine and appropriate to talk about his age, to talk about his bouts with melanoma, to talk about what the actuary table said in terms of his life expectancy. That was a that that was fair game, right? And it was done relentlessly. He's too old. He's going to die on the job. All of this. Um, that was the one of the talking points. Media, Democrats, etc. And now you have someone who's clearly impaired. And I hope that he gets better. But he's clearly impaired. Um, to a serious degree. And now it's a faux pas to point it out. It's a faux pas to say, well, maybe he's actually not physically capable of doing the job. And I just don't... The cognitive dissonance, the, the mental gymnastics here just infuriates me. And we can imagine, obviously, if we have to play the partisan game for a second, but had uh, John Fetterman come from a different party, oh, oh, he had been an elephant man, yeah, um, there would be all roasted. kinds of, yeah. I, there would be reporters staked out at his house, there'd be like calls for doctor letters, you know, they'd, <laughs> they'd be calling up all this stuff, you'd have amateur people on TV diagnosing him, um, and this is where... It's important to have a good independent media sphere. And I think in this scenario, it did kind of break the camel's back. You did have the mainstream journos who did kind of give in and say, okay, it doesn't look good. 
I, key is as soon as Joe yeah. Scarborough of Morning yeah. Joe. That's the, uh, as soon as you start to that's lose exactly, him, you've lost that's the main exactly, plot. When I saw Joe Scarborough tweet without any context or reference, oh no, this is way worse than we thought. Obviously, watching the debate, um, it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Someone has reached their threshold where intellectual honesty carries the day. Um, and I think it's just excruciating for the guy's family. Um, for him, it, I think everyone felt very queasy. It, it's just not a scenario that you want to see someone that it was you cruel. love or care about perform it was, in. It yeah, was cruel. Very cruel. It was cruel to put him up there, to to stumble around. And, and I mean, it's not his fault. Right, he had a he had a stroke. He he didn't just have a bad debate. He is he is has a medical reason for um, how he speaks now uh, and how he perceives information. But whom on that team is going? Yeah, I think I think you can do this. Do it like you 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 got it. Like you're not going to be that bad. Like I mean, this is pretty. This sounds pretty nefarious, but they should have just done the. We scheduled the debate. It's like, oh, he's got COVID. He's got to isolate for a week. <laughs> like, they shouldn't have put him yeah. up there. It's just, it's brutal. Yeah. And he had the opportunity, I believe, until mid-August um, to let the other Democratic candidate, Connor Lamb, who is a, I believe he's a House member, you know, allow him to run because he did come in second place in the primary. Uh, but David, I will remind you, uh, we actually had an article uh, where we praised um, Mr. Fediman. I don't know if you remember this. Where we praised who? John Fetterman. We did? When did we praise John Fetterman? <laughs> so this goes back. We praised John Fetterman in an article in, um, this was in Pennsylvania. I think it was the Pittsburgh Tribune. Oh! Because John Fetterman I, has been a huge yes. advocate for legalizing cannabis You're as right. the lieutenant governor. I forgot governor. about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about oh, you. That was a... Talk about a mental lapse. Jesus. Yeah, uh, there you go, David. I don't know. Are you fit to, to serve on Consumer Choice Radio? I might have to escort you out just like, uh, you know, Xi Jinping's number two. Uh, but I tell you... Uh, I was I was very much a fan of him when he was the lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, oh, I had yeah. done some work there, and um, you know he was very vociferous on this issue, uh, mostly. And lieutenant governors are nothing. You know, it's like they, they don't have any power at all. They're just there in case the governor dies. But you know, he was able to highlight that issue and uh, get the ball rolling. It's still not done in Pennsylvania. Still don't have legal cannabis, so it goes. And, uh, but yeah, that's the circumstance to... in which uh, your humble host did praise him. And and just. In case anyone is hearing this and being like, you guys would vote Republican anyway, like blah, blah, blah. In this case, I would not. I think that someone who's hauled in front of Congress to testify about the fraudulent products he's been pitching on TV, Dr. Oz, is also unfit for office. And a fully uh, capable John Fetterman, without any medical issues, is is probably or definitely a superior candidate, um, regardless of political affiliation, um, than Dr. Oz. But that's not the world we're living in. Um, and then, I mean, you can also make the argument that without Herschel Walker's craziness and faux pas, he may be a better candidate for the folks of, of Georgia um, than his competitor, um, Raphael Warnock. Um, but again, that's not 
the circumstances we're in. Um, and yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that partisanship, once it gets into the brain, it just starts to spread. And people will do all sorts of silly things to justify voting red all the way down or voting blue all the way down. And in reality, it should be a lot more nuanced than that. Well, I look forward to the, the reset, the great reset that happens uh, after the midterms are over and uh, we can actually start talking about ideas rather than personalities again, because I think that is very important. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that we have all of this stuff that's happening in Canada with the inquiry on the Emergencies Act. We have all of these missteps of Trudeau apparently sending six, uh, spending 6K a night in London for the Queen's funeral. I mean, there's so there must be better accountability, guys. Is is there nobody in the PMO's office who goes, hey, maybe we don't need the the six thousand dollar room night with the Dom Perignon, like maybe we don't. I mean, I know that it looks cool and like it's going to be awesome, but like maybe we should just stay at the Best Western for optics' sake because this is going to look bad. Uh, it's the same well, thing with the. It's go- super easy. Just stay at the ambassador's residence. There's yeah, plenty of bedrooms there. It's the I case think, in every European capital. <laughs> yeah, I think the argument from them was that the delegation was too large. But then at the same time, why are taxpayers on the footing the bill for, yes, an ex-prime minister, but a private citizen to fly, private I would assume, to London to stay in luxury accommodation for the Queen's funeral? If you're Jean Chrétien or Stephen Harper or Paul Martin or what have you, and you're attending this funeral, you're capable of hopping on a British Airways flight. You're probably, well, you're certainly capable of paying for a hotel room at whatever level you want. Um, And yet that's not what we did. I mean, we did the same thing with the climate conference. Well, also the uh, Mandela, uh, the Mandela funeral as well. That was kind of a big thing. Forget about that, that one. That was Redford, wasn't it? The premier of Alberta. She. Oh yeah. Delega- yeah, she had, she had like a whole jet full of people. <laughs> that was part of her undoing, I think. I well, there's a lot of issues there, but I, I think you could make the argument. Oh, this is you know Canada's head of state technically, and all of that. So I wonder, David, um, were David Clement, a, a co-host of Consumer Choice Radio, sitting in the federal parliament? Would you be joining with the Bloc Québécois and uh, questioning the monarchy at this moment? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, conceptually, yes. Logistically, no. Uh, so I, I sympathize with the arguments um, in terms of separating from the monarchy, but I think it would make no—it's all symbolic. It would make no meaningful difference in the lives of Canadians, and it would just eat up a lot of time arguing about it politically. When there are bigger things that actually impact Canadians. Like, I really don't want the political narrative to be yay or nay on, on the monarchy and King Charles when inflation is at record highs and we have a housing crisis. And You know what it would be good for, though? The distraction? Um, would, well, of course. But it would mean that the, uh, the Bank of Canada could print all new money so we can have even more money printing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Royal Mint. Yeah. Thank you. So conceptually, yes, I I sympathize, but not not logistically. I don't uh, I don't think it's worth the time to actually 
fight that battle. That that seems like a battle for when nothing is going on, right? Times are good. We're in cruise control. Yeah, okay, we can have that debate. But so David, we did not get to talk about um, what's happening in Ontario. We got a minute left, uh, but you did have an article in the Financial Post about uh, good old Dougie's um, housing plan. Why don't you give us some praise here as we close out the show? Yeah, he's peeling back some exclusionary zoning, uh, which means that as of right, you can build garden suites, basement apartments, you can build duplexes and triplexes without local approval. So you don't have to go to council, you don't have to go to all the planning nonsense. It's a very good first step. Um, So kudos to Douglas Ford for uh, that initiative. There you go. You heard it here, folks. Uh, We'll link to that as well in the show notes. Uh, You guys stay tuned. Uh, Plenty more for next week and the entire political season. Stay tuned to Consumer Choice Radio, consumerchoiceradio.com. And uh, David, I'll chat with you next week.